The scripture passage today comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 29. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with the man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it, is, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring Errors according to promise. That was a mouthful. And some of you are going, what does that mean? Um, let, let's, let's, uh, let's try to at least get into it. We, if you have been um, with us, we are in part four of a series on identity. And um, in a lot of ways... This, the first three messages are all preparations to get to today's message. In a lot of ways, I feel like the messages, the series is really starting today. Because today is the day when I'm going to actually finally tell you what that identity is. And that is to be a son of God. You want to know who you are? Who you're supposed to be? Which will be who you really are that will really give you life. <laughs> that is to be a son of God. And by the way, that's strange. I know that's just for you ladies, too. <laughs> okay? And I'll, I'll say a little more about that. Um, quick recap. First message, I, uh, I talked about the problems of identity, all the different ways that we seek it and the ways that it breaks. 
And in part two, I talked about how we're looking for this blessing. That's it. We're looking for this wholeness that if we can, we think we, if we find this, if we just do these things, that we think that if we do works according to a standard, and then, you know, and I, I talked about this, it's a, there'll be a law above you, and it doesn't matter if it's a law of God, there'll be a law. Like if you want to be a perfect mom, there's a law for that. If that's your identity. Or if you're going to be a great athlete, there's a law for that. And that's your identity. But we think if I just do those works of the law, then I can have this pronouncement that I'm, as the Bible calls, justified under the law. And I told you in part two, that's not going to work. That actually, when you read it up there, you heard it up there, that those all who try to be justified by the works of the law are cursed. And I talked about that, right? And that was last week's message. Part one was problems of identity. Part two, seeking justification. And part three, the law has limits. And that it's actually, if you're going to try to seek your identity that way, you'll be cursed. And I, and I talked about some of those curses last week. And what we really need instead is a deep relationship. And that relationship will be the basis of who you are, your identity. And we're finally there now. That relationship is to be a son of God. Now, um... Now I'm going like, to like, time out for a moment. I want to I share with you something um, a little personal. While I was uh, prepping this week, it was hard, <laughs> okay? It, this was, I mean, you know, sermon prepping is not easy, but this one was particularly hard because the Bible's pathway for you to understand this is through this odd person named Abraham. And um, and the and the relationship that is offered to Abraham, and we don't, the reason I'm using it, I'm using this term relationship, that's our word. But that's not the Bible's word. The Bible uses a much thicker and deeper word, and that is covenant. And that came through something that is called promise. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to give you the outline of this message. And conceptually, it is not hard to understand. Most of you are very bright people. I'm going to tell you... Um, this thing, and you can get this in your mind. You can I, get these ideas in your mind. But the real hard problem of this message is, is and that, was, that I wrestled so hard with is most of us consider this Abraham and covenant and promise, blah, blah, blah. It, it sounds like religious talk, including for those of you who are Christians and you, you may have grown up in the church. It doesn't move us. Because we're so stuck in, this, in the problems I've been talking about these last three weeks. We think... We're free. That's the word we use. I'm free to be me. I get to shape the identity by myself. And we actually think it's freedom. And I told you last week, it's not freedom. It's actually cursed. It's actually a pathway to enslavement. Enslavement where the law will crush you and destroy you. That's what I was talking about last week. And that's why you can't, you can't base it on achievement. Achievement of the law. I mean, that's the word. We, we, we don't call it works of the law. We call it achievements according to a standard. But it's the same thing. It's really just the same thing. And if you do this, it'll destroy you. But what you really need is a relationship. And today I want to um, spell out for you the way the Bible you know, paints that relationship. And um, it's through this person named Abraham. And if you really want a deep relationship with God, it was, it was laid out starting with Abraham and it culminates in Jesus Christ. And it was a promise given to Abraham and believing in the promise, which we call faith, that is the pathway to having this beautiful new relationship and a new identity which will unleash life, wholeness in you. 
And so let's get into this. Um, so that's what this crazy, convoluted writing, you know, Paul, such a terrible writer. I, like I told you, my, 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 my 10th grade you know, English teacher who was, who was quite terrifying but amazing, he would have failed Paul, <laughs> right? And so I wish he, you know, Paul had gotten to you know, study under my 10th grade English teacher. Um, but for whatever reason, God chose this guy to write and to teach us this absolutely incredible stuff. And so let's get into it. Three parts. Part one, Abraham and a new kind of relationship. There's like, it was a, a new kind of relationship that didn't exist until God's brought about through Abraham. And part two, the law as guardian. What the heck does that mean? The law, we needed this thing called the law as a guardian, but really it was a pathway to a new kind of humanity. The law as guardian as a pathway to a new kind of humanity. And then part three, the beauty, the beauty of sonship. Most of us are captured by the beauty of being like a really great entrepreneur and making tons of money or the beauty of being like a, like a really perfect mom and then like my kids will turn out perfect. Or those, are like, those are the things that we are captured by and then we try to build an identity of that. But what we really need is a different beauty. And I want to offer you a beauty of the one that the Bible is trying to offer us, which is sonship. And so um, let's get into it. Chapter 3, verse 7. So if you'd like to go to verse 7, this is uh, what he says. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles. There's that important word, the blessing of justify. Justify the Gentiles by faith, not by works, not by keeping a law. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So that's, that's okay. Just time out for a moment there. Most of you, if you grew up in the church, you know the gospel is about Jesus, right? It's what Jesus has done. But it's this extraordinary here, right in Galatians 3. It says that Abraham received the gospel. I mean, he doesn't even know who this person Jesus is. But there was a promise given through him that there would be an offspring that comes from Abraham, and here's the problem. So it's actually not like the full gospel, but it's like this, just this one piece, this portion, which is enough that the Bible calls it the gospel, is that in you shall all the nations be blessed. All the nations. All the nations will be blessed. And then it says, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, who's the man of faith. Okay, now let me unpack this. And so... This is kind of what this passage is getting at. If you grew up in church, um, I hope you were taught this, um, and you may have heard this, that salvation isn't by works of the law, that you, if you do all the stuff that the law tells you to do, and then you're a good person. That's what every other religion and worldview tells you, that if you do this thing according to the standards, you'll be a good person, we'll justify you. That's the word the Bible uses. We'll pronounce on you the judgment of the human court, that you're a good person and you can feel good about your life, right? And, um, but instead, what it says here is that if you actually, the pathway is not by doing, it's by this word called faith. And um, one of the things that I really wrestled with this past week is this word law and faith. Even in Christian circles, it, um, it's kind of become washed out. And it's kind of like blah, 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 blah. And what I wanna, one of the things I want to do is I want to retell you the story of Abraham. And I want to kind of recast the language of faith so you can begin to see its power and its relevance. And um, instead of 
faith, I want you to think about this word, trust. Because when we hear the word faith, so many of us, what we think about this faith is like, if you believe in the right doctrine, there's this idea. We tend to think of it as primarily a cognitive like thing of the head. And like I told you today, you are smart enough, all of you are plenty smart enough to grasp this thing in your mind, but that's not where we have the problem. <laughs> the problem is not in the mind. The problem is in the core of our person, in our heart. We don't, we, we're like, we're, it's very elusive to us. And, the, and faith is something we tend to do with our mind. We think that, like, I believe this. Okay, I believe this. That's a true thing. I believe this. No, I have faith. And so most of us, I have faith. But that's not what the Bible is talking about here. Faith, when, the, when, the, when it says that Abraham had faith, let's put it this way. Abraham had trust, a profound trust. And that's the kind of faith, that's the kind of trust that God is calling you. Trust, not belief in an idea, but trust in a person. Let me say that again. Not belief in an idea. When the Bible is talking about faith here in the way Abraham, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm about to unpack the story of Abraham a bit, is not it's just a series of ideas with his mind, but a deep heart trust in a person. Now, let me back up here. For those of you who don't know the story of Abraham, and maybe, you know, I, I want to encourage you to read it. And if you haven't read it in a long time, read it this week. Um, go to Genesis chapter 12 through 24, 13 chapters, 12 through 24. And if you don't have time to read 13 chapters, how about just reading four? Okay, so if you want to read, understand this passage, Genesis 12, 15, 17, 22. Those are the, those are the most important ones. And, and let me put it to you this way. If you don't grasp Genesis 12, 15, 17, and 22, you cannot understand the Bible. You can't understand the Bible. The Bible is built on what happened in those four chapters between God and Abraham and it began to say that and those four chapters built a set of a relationship between God and Abraham, which the Bible is interested in, in, in drawing us into. And what is that thing that God did? So let, let me back up. If you go to chapter 12, here's what happens. There's a guy named, his, his name's not even Abraham yet. His name is Abram. And Abram lives in a, in a big, massive city. It's sort of like the New York City of its time. It's Ur. Ur of the Chal Chaldees. Are like, they're the great empire of the day, the Chaldeans. And their great city is Ur. He lives in, like, New York. He's like, lives in Tokyo, Seoul, or whatever it is. You name a great city, that's where he lives. And then God says, okay, I want you to pack up and move a 1,000 miles away. <laughs> okay? And wh where am I going? You're, you're going to go to this land. It's like, uh, isn't that like Podunk land? <laughs> it would be as if like you grew up in New York with all the sophisticated people, all the education and the money, and then you were told to go to like Nebraska or something. <laughs> and then God says, this will be your land. <laughs> uh, and, and, this, and then for what? I mean, so imagine, I want you to just stop for a moment. Most of us, Abraham is this guy from a long time ago. He's a foreigner. He, he's, um, and if you grew up in church, he, ha he comes off as kind of like a mythical superhero. He's a man of faith. He had great faith. And so you go, he has faith. I, you know, kind of like, you know, I kind of stink at faith. Abraham was super duper at faith. I want to be like Abraham. And that's how he comes off. But that's not what it's like at all. I want you to just stop for a moment um, and try to put yourself in the shoes of Abraham because that's really what the Bible is trying to get you to do when you read the story, and then when we get to Galatians 3, it's trying to get you to follow in its tracks. 
And here's what God did. He called this guy in the New York City of his time, and he says, go out to what would what, what sound like going out to Nebraska or something, and here's why. Because out of you will become so much offspring. You have so many children, we won't even be able to count them. And then out of all of those, there'll be one. One by whom every nation, every nation will be blessed. That's what he said. Now think about this. If this happened to you, you're living your life, Silicon Valley, which is a kind of like a Ur of the Chaldees of today, you're living your life, and then a voice comes to you, Susan, move to Nebraska. What? Why? Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to do that, God? Uh, I think you're God, or crazy voice. And the voice says to go do this thing, and why? So that every nation will be blessed. Now just stop for a moment, okay? Do you care about the world? Do you care about your neighbors? Do you pay attention to the news? I do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not as much of a news junkie as I used to be, but is, let's just not talk about the world. Let's just talk about our country. <laughs> is our country in a good place? <laughs> is our country in a good place? Dude, we suck. Our country is in a horrible place. I mean, so, I mean, without trying to get political or anything, look, right now, all the powerful people in the country that we call the establishment, whether they're on the left side of the establishment or the right side of the establishment, they hate our leader. And all the people who who tell our stories, and so that's Hollywood, and then all the people who tell the important things that's going on, which is the news, they hate our leader. It's this incredible anger and fighting that's going on. There's like, there's like, uh, there's sh- shooting of cops. There's protests going on, and there's just constant anger and accusations. You're breaking the law. You're bre- that's what's going. That's just in our country. And if the voice that comes to you says, "If you go to Nebraska, there will be a pathway for all these millions of people to be blessed," would you would you take sit up and take notice of that? And not just our country. I mean, do you notice what's going on in other countries? It's just, it's, it's terrible. And this is just normal history. You notice? The wars, the oppression. And that's kind of a big scale. How about, let's, let's take it down a smaller scale. You talk to your, you, you have any friends who are depressed? You have any friends who have an addiction problem? You have any friends who's, uh, who's unemployed? You have any friends who are just, you know, they're, they're, his parents got divorced, and, and um, he was never the same after that. You have, any, you have any friends like that? Or you have a friend, their life was going really good, and then to his brother committed suicide. You have any friends like that? That's everyone. And then the voice comes, and you think it's God. Now, most of us were so skeptical that if, we had a vo- if that voice came to us and, you know, made a This is the promise. So God calls this guy Abram. His name hadn't been changed. You'll see that his name is changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And um, there he, he, he makes this promise to him, all the nations will be blessed. Now, would you believe that promise? Most of us would probably go, mm, I think I'll stay here. <laughs> but he did. He uprooted his whole family. He was a, he was a wealthy person, so, you know, and wealth was, you know, it wasn't like 
you know, a number on an account. It was kind of furry, and so you have to, <laughs> you have to bring your, you have to bring your money along with you. So your money has to like walk, you know, it's furry, and you you need you need you need servants to take care of your money, the you know, the furry money, you know, and so, and then you have to go a thousand miles to this land, which to us would be like like I'm going to go to Nebraska. Great, okay, but he did it. Okay, and then he waited. Okay. Where's the son? I'm kind of not that young anymore. And my wife, we've tried. No babies. And then you get there, and then there is a horrible recession. No jobs. People are starving, except back then they didn't call it a recession. They called it famine, which, by the way, is far worse than recession. So then you get to this land, which is supposed to be your, your land. You're looking at it everywhere, and you're like, Wow, this is going to be my family's land, and it sucks because it's just like the most worst worst recession ever. And so then he goes to the place where there's actually still some money and like commerce going on. That was Egypt, and that'd be like another like big city center. He went to Egypt, and then the guy who ran that country decided to said, you know, I kind of like your wife. Well, actually, I didn't know she was your wife, and I'd like her to make her my wife. And so then he starts lying, and you know, he starts. I mean, he like basically gives up his wife. I mean, like, see this great Superman of faith? And then God, you know, bails him out of that and brings him back. And after a while, he starts going, we don't have kids, God. Is this really going to happen? Did I make a mistake? Can you imagine the conversations at the dinner table? You know, Abram, Sarai. Her name didn't become Sarah until later. Sarai. Abram, Sarai. She's like, what the heck is this? Why are we living in this dump? Can we go back? No, God spoke to us. You're crazy. Do you know how old I am? Can you imagine that conversation? And so Abram goes back to God and says, "Um, is this going to happen? And that's when you get to chapter 15. And you know what God does? God doesn't just make a promise. God, he goes through a ceremony. And he does this thing that we call covenant. You know what a covenant is? It's a promise that is so binding. It's like a promise on steroids. But today, we are, you know, we don't get covenant, and we don't see its beauty and its importance. You know why? Because we're so, so individualistic, and we're, it's all about me, and my identity is going to be all based on ourselves, and we're all a bunch of liars and promise keepers. That's what we are. And in fact, we are professionals, so they're supposed to keep, uphold the law, but they're really just professional liars, and you guys know who those are called. Those are called lawyers. <laughs> they're paid liars so that they can break our promise. So we got into a contract. Okay, now I'm going to pay for you to go find the fine point in the contract. Get me out. (laughs) That's what we do. And then we go, oh, we'll get married to each other. But like, it's like marriage is like this ridiculous sentimental thing. Now, you're my soulmate. I love you. You love me. And then like all the movies end. You you know our movies? Our movies are not about deep relationship. It's just like finding your soulmate. It's like the one relationship that we like in our movies. The soulmate. And then the movie ends happily ever after. And of course, all the rest of it, yeah, they'll be divorced in two years. If they even got married. If they didn't get married, oh, they'll, they'll be sleeping together until, you know, that, that, until, you know, of course, you know, like her body starts to sag and then he, you know, goes for a younger girl. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, we feel really good at the end of that movie. And then... But then life hits, and this is real life, and we have no deeper relationship. And that's what covenant is. Covenant is to say, I bind myself to you. I make a promise to you. And it's so important that it'll change our relationship 
for the rest of our life. That's it. And you guys know that the marriage is like the one place that we kind of, kind of understand this concept. But what does, if you enter into that relationship, what does it take? Doesn't it take trust? And doesn't that come back to that word? Faith? <laughs> and in the middle of that relationship is a promise. And it's a big promise. God made a huge promise to Abram. And then you know what he did? When it didn't look like it was working out, God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to seal myself to you through this promise. It's, like, it's kind of like a marriage, except it's much more serious than that. I'm going to seal myself to you, and that if this doesn't happen, I'll, curse, I'll be cursed. God said, I'm going to put myself under the threat of curse. You can believe it's going to happen. And then chapter 7, this is when Abram goes, okay, good, I'm going to try to make it happen. So then you know what he did? That's chapter 15. And then you know he's, so then his, his wife cooked up a plan. Well, I'm not having any babies, so why don't you sleep with my, you know, my maidservant? She's kind of good looking, you know. And then you can have a son, and then we can kind of make it happen. That, that turned out really bad. And God said, no, no, no. So then he came up with this thing called circumcision. So I was like, I want you to actually, just so you really, really know, I want you to go snip the foreskin off your, you know, what? So you can know, I'm serious. It's going to happen. And, uh, and it's not going to just happen with anyone. It's going to happen with your old wife. And then it happened when they were old. And then they had the son. His name is Isaac. And then you know what God said in chapter 22? Why don't you sacrifice him to me? And Abram believed this promise so deeply. He trusted, which is another way of saying he had faith. He trusted the person. He's trusted the person so much, he said, he actually brought a knife up to do it. And the way the Bible puts it is like, he knew that if, if Isaac died, his son, God would have to raise him from the dead in order to fulfill that promise. That's how much he trusted the promise. It's trust. It's a relationship. And it's built on this thing called the covenant. And the thing that's, that draws you to it is a promise. You trust the other person for the promise. Most people I know we're so cynical, we don't trust anybody like that. And you know what? That's why we're dying, why our lives are miserable, and why we get divorced, and why we just run through relationships, and why our friendships end, and why we can't be married, and then we, like, and then we, we hurt and harm our children. This, this is all because we don't know how to have a relationship like this. And I've been thinking about this. Like, um, the one person that I have faith in like this is, I shouldn't say she's not the only person, but this is the most obvious, is my wife. Like, I'm trying to help you see, redefine this word faith as trust. And I have faith, which is to say, I trust that my wife, she made a promise to me. What is that promise? It's that I will love you in sickness and health. For better or for worse, richer or for poorer, till one of us dies. (laughs) And let me tell you something. Sometimes it has been for worse. And there were times in our marriage, it was for the worse. And I was, I was like, I, there was a portion of our marriage when it was going really bad. And it was probably mostly because I sucked. <laughs> and I, I would say to my wife, what if I can't be a good husband? Will you leave me? I'm afraid. Right? But ultimately... I had to trust that there would be a promise. And then from that promise, she would keep the promise. I would believe in this promise. I would trust her. That's faith. 
And then from that, it would change my person. It would change my identity out of a relationship. And now I have this identity. I'm the husband of Grace Park. That's one, one identity I have. And it comes out of a relationship, not achievements, not running myself ragged through a law. And this is where the Bible is trying to lead us. Okay? Now let me go to part two. Okay, pastor. I, now I understand the Abraham story now. Well, what the heck is all this weird stuff in the middle about the law and the guardian and, you know, like, okay. It, there's, a, there's a place, it, it, it's in the Bible, there are two important figures. God gave the, the gospel at the beginning, right in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve failed. Then he gave the promise that there would be an offspring through Eve. But they didn't really, really know. He did, but the way the promise was going to work out, it didn't really start till Abraham. And Abraham is the one who would have received a promise that we believe, that we call it faith, but I'm, telling, I'm saying you have to continually trust and then have this relationship. And that's this, the kind of relationship God is um, drawing us into, and this will give us life. But then there was an, another important figure, which according to the Bible, came 430 years later. His name is Moses. And Moses gave this thing called the law. And and in order to do that, you have to keep these rules, and then God will form a people. And so then there's this question. So then, if the law is a curse, as I taught you last week, whether you're talking about the law of God, if the law of God is a curse, how much more is the law of being a perfect mom a curse? If some other thing that isn't really God, you make it your God, and you try to form your identity, how much more is that a curse? And I taught you that last week, but... If the law is a curse, then is the law opposed? That's the way he puts it here. Is the law then, verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Are they somehow like, is there, is there a problem going on here? And the answer is no. And then he goes on to tell you this thing. That the law was a guardian. And um, most of us have a little difficulty with this, this concept of a guardian because um, most of you probably didn't grow up with a guardian. You probably just, you know, you grew up your mom and your dad, right? And so you didn't need a guardian. So I, I've been, I, I kind of wrestled this week to try to, uh, to, to translate this to make it, um, you can see the life of this. Um, if you, there was a, maybe you didn't have a period when you needed a guardian, someone to watch over you because mom and dad were away or, you know, you didn't have them anymore. But there were periods of times when your mom and dad had to leave the house and they couldn't take care of you, so they had to get someone else to do it, right? And what was that person called? We call that person a babysitter. You know what the law is? It's sort of like a durable babysitter. When the, when the Bible says the law was a guardian, how about the law was a durable babysitter? And so think about it. The babysitter has rules. <laughs> and so you have this babysitter over. I mean, you're not, you, maybe you like this person. Maybe you don't like this person. It doesn't matter. But they have rules. Things like, um, you know, you can't eat a candy bar for dinner. You know, don't you remember when you were a kid and you want to eat a candy? You're like, can I just have candy? And you're like, mom and dad aren't here. Okay, I'm, can I have candy? And, and the babysitter's like, no. Can I go to sleep without brushing my teeth? No. Can I stay up all night long and watch cartoons? No. <laughs> you're the... the the, can, can, you know, can I get on top of, uh, can I get on top of the, uh, the furniture and jump off? <laughs> no. And the guardian was there. The babysitter was there. Why? 
to keep you from killing yourself, from keeping you from harming yourself. And that's what the Bible says, that the law was given so that transgressions would not multiply. That's what it was for. Um, have you noticed one of the reasons why our country is in such bad shape is because there's no like sensible law of God anymore. And so people just do all kinds of, you know, like, I'll just smoke this joint because it's cool. <laughs> um, it's going to have consequences, you know. Like when you drive and then you kill somebody because you're stoned, and then you get to go to prison for a long, long time. Hello. <laughs> and nobody will hire you after that. So there are laws about these things. But because we've, we're in a relativistic society, we just think we can pick and choose which laws we like. But actually, here's another, there's another worse problem. We don't see that there's a father anymore. And because there's not a father anymore, we actually turn to the laws. So we're like, okay, I want to be a great athlete. So then the athlete has all the laws. So then the laws, now we think that if I do, 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 do all the things that the laws tells me to do, then I'll be blessed. I'll, I'll finally be fulfilled. I can find the thing that I'm really looking for all my life, which is like this, ah, oh, you're, 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 this is it. Which the Bible calls justification. Oh, this this thing. But actually... All it's really doing is just cursing us. Because here's what it is. If you do the things of the law, it's just you, just you, just doing stuff. But is there a person there with you, walking you, giving you a whole new identity, who will love you and give you this and a whole new relationship? It isn't. And so many people today, that's why we're doing this series. Even Christians. Christians, we, it's like, Faith, like Abraham, blah, blah, blah. Okay, and then Monday, oh, find my identity through the law. Like, I'm just going like, to do all these things. Oh, except, except it's not the law of God. It's like the law of Google. <laughs> it's the law of like, being, you know, being successful. It's the law of success, that God. And, and then you try to be a Christian, and you, you go, oh, salvation was by grace. But because we can't even see the relationship, because the covenant doesn't woo us anymore, we just kind of go just back to performing. And so then when the pastor says something like, you know, you should have a prayer life, you go, oh, you're gonna, so you try it on Monday and pray, nothing happened, okay, whatever. Try to write, read your Bible, oh, you know. So then it just becomes yet another chore, this thing to do. And, um, but actually, really what you need is a whole new relationship. And to come into the covenant and let the relationship of the covenant. And here is the verse that I've just been waiting now for four weeks to finally be able to say to you. Verse 25, now that faith has come, now that trust, now that you can trust in a person, not just believe in ideas, but really a person, a faith has come and a person, a relationship has come. We are no longer under the babysitter, under the guardian. <laughs> You're with your dad now. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, through trust. For as many of you were baptized into Christ and put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Um, let me close my message. I want to say two things about this. This, this is the thing that, it's like, 
That's it, Pastor. You just like roll yourself up and get really excited. You get to a climax. And this, actually, this is the thing that we're going to now sit in for the rest of this series. What it means to be a son of God. And you get to be a son of God by first being like Abraham. You have to first be like a son of Abraham. In other words, trust like Abraham. And then you will, it won't be based on law and your performance. It will be based on relationship. Now I want to say two things. About, about this, and then I want to, two, two beautiful things about this. I told you beauty of sonship, and I want to give you two beautiful things, and then I'll close. Okay, here's the first one. You notice, now, some of you women are thinking like, why does that have to say sons? I, I'm a daughter. It's like, it seems kind of sexist. I feel excluded from this thing, because like, I'm going to be a son. I'm, I'm going to be a son. I'm a daughter. Of course you're a daughter. But you know why the Bible says you're a son? I mean, this is really strange, ladies. Ladies, you're a son. You know why the Bible says you're a son? It's not about, didn't it just say right there, it's not male or female? Isn't that odd? It's not male or female. You know why sonship is important in the Bible? Because in the Bible, I mean, it's trying to use a metaphor. In that culture, you know who had the greatest privilege? You know who got all the inheritance? You know who got all the attention? You know who got the focus? You know who got completely the, the, you know, the, if, uh, the, the, if, the, if, if the father's attention, the son, boom. Because he got all the inheritance, he got everything. He became an heir. This is the way the Bible says. It was the son. And now the Bible's saying, you all can have it, even if you're a woman, even if you're a slave, even if you're a Gentile. You're not even a Jew. <laughs> you don't even know anything about the Bible. <laughs> it's now open. Not because you perform. Not because of status, but through trust, like Abraham, through the covenant. That's one. It's, off, it's offered to you. Every privilege. And can you just, I, I know this is like, that's what we're going to talk about in the, in the upcoming weeks, what these privileges are. This incredible thing of being able to have access to God this way, like a son. And let me close with this um, illustration. Usually I try to, you know, have an illustration earlier in the message, which will take you to like help you to see Christ. And, but now I'm saying it's that there was an offspring from Abraham and that's Christ. You know why it's so important that the son saves you? Because we're all saved to be a son like him, to have sonship like him. And Abraham had to believe it. So we walk the pathway of Abraham by trust but the ultimate trust was going to be in the Father giving us His Son to be a son. And then ultimately having this incredible relationship with the Father and you can have this new identity. And it's so elusive to us. I, I was just like, Lord, you got to help me. I don't, have, I don't know how to make this come to life. And I want to offer you this and maybe, maybe this will work for you. Have any of you ever seen the movie Karate Kid? Who here has seen the movie Karate Kid? Uh, oh, okay, not bad. Half the, half the room, okay? By the way, I'm not talking about the Jackie Chan version. <laughs> I'm not talking about the Jaden Smith, Jackie Chan, 2000-whatever version. That's the inferior one. That's the lame one, okay? I'm talking about original Karate Kid, 1984, you know, skinny Italian, Ralph Macchio, <laughs> you know, short Japanese guy, Pat Morita. That version, okay? That's the original version, 1984, and, uh, and maybe, you know, some of you can make your, you know, your, G, you know your, your small group application this week, you know, read Genesis 12, 15, 17, 22, 
and really chew on that. Maybe some of you can make your application watch Karate Kid. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That, that, that's probably be a good application. Watch Karate Kid and talk about it with each other, right? And here's, here's what I want. And the reason why is when, when, I, was a, when I was a boy, I, I, you know, I loved those Saturday afternoon. There'd be these kung fu movies you know, where the lips would move because, you know, like, and you'll kill my master. You know, and then like they would learn the crane technique, and then you know the guy has to kill the bad guy. I love those movies. And then this it came out. This preview came out that there's going to be the Karate Kid. I was like, oh, it's going to be martial arts, and except it's going to be a white guy. Who cares? Whatever, I'll go. Right. And so you know, my brother and I, we didn't get to, see, we didn't see a lot of movies at the theater, but we begged my dad, we got to go see Karate Kid, and so we did. And of course, it has cool. I mean, it's, it's not as cool as Jackie Chan for sure. The later version. You know, the Jackie Chan version has much better martial arts choreography. You have, like, skinny, like, Italian Ralph Macchio going, you know, it's sort of like, it's, it's lame, okay? That part's lame, okay? That part is lame, okay? But um, I watched it, and I thought it was a cool movie. But then I watched it again as an adult. And after I watched it again as an adult, I realized it's not really about karate. <laughs> it's not about karate at all. At the center of the movie is a father-son story. There's this kid, and his name is Daniel LaRusso. And he's, I don't know, 16. He's a teenager. And he has to move from New Jersey all the way out to Southern California. And that's you know, the whole opening montage is just him and his mom. And he has a single mom. He doesn't have a dad. He has no dad, no father. And so he goes out to California, and he's trying to you know, have a life out there. And he hates it out there in California because you know, he doesn't have all his Italian homeboys in his, in his, in his old New Jersey neighborhood. And he has to deal with this, this crazy place called California. And what does he try to do? He tries to take something that he's good at to try to like make himself, you know, kind of like try to build an identity for himself in, in, the, in the school. Because, you know, like he's a nobody. So he, walk, he goes into this high school, and he's a nobody. And he has to become a somebody, which is another way of saying I have to build my, who I am, my own identity. And so he finds something that he's good at. And by the way, he's... Pretty good at soccer. It turns out he's quite good at soccer. So he gets on the soccer. He tries to get on, and he tries to impress other people. And he turns out he gets kicked off the soccer team. And while he's at the beach, he uses soccer to try to like impress this, you know, this good-looking blonde girl played by Elizabeth Shue, a very young Elizabeth Shue, right? You know, like I, you know, back then when I was kid, I was like, oh, she's really good looking. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, whatever, okay. But um, he's trying to impress Elizabeth Shue with what he's good at and try to build his own identity. And then what happens when you try to go like this, what happens is something in the world will come out and beat the heck out of you because what happens is the girlfriend that you long for in the world turned out to have an ex-boyfriend and the ex-boyfriend came along and beat the heck out of him. Now I want to stop for a moment. This is going to sound really weird, but your life is Karate Kid. You know that? Are you serious, Pastor? I just, yeah. This is a parable of your life. All the, the, these 21st century people that I know, they're all just like Daniel LaRusso. You and I are like Daniel LaRusso. We go, go off into the world. We don't, we're like a nobody. So then we got to build our identity on something. We're good at soccer. Oh, I got to find this thing that's going like, to make me feel really happy, the girlfriend. And then the world comes along and beats the crap out of you. <laughs> and... If this is the way you're trying to build your identity on something that you're good at and then you're trying to grasp after the blessings of the world, the world will come along and beat the crap out of you. That's what's going to happen. And you're going to be just like Daniel LaRusso. He's miserable and he's afraid and he's alone. 
and he doesn't have anybody to help him. And then along comes this small Japanese man. And he comes, and while, you know, while the, the bullies are just like basically beating the heck out of him, the, the Japanese man comes along and rescues him. <laughs> and he's, he just looks like the handy guy in the apartment that he lives in. And so Daniel gets this idea. He goes up to, the, he goes up to the, you know, this Japanese guy, and he finds his name is Miyagi. He mispronounced Miyagi. You know, he goes, no, Miyagi. He's like, Miyagi, okay, Mr. Miyagi. And he goes, we, I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm getting my butt kicked every day. Will you teach me karate? He goes, okay. Get up early. Come to, get up early. 6 a.m., come to my house. So Daniel does it. And at the beginning, this is, this is what it's like. He goes up there. By the way, when you were in 16 years old, would you have gotten up in the morning to go to somebody's house at 6 a.m.? I wouldn't have done that. I mean, maybe if somebody was kicking the crap out of me every day, maybe I would have done that, okay? But, um, you know, you have to get to his house by 6 a.m. And then here's what Mr. Miyagi does. He says, you see all these cars? And there's like a lot of them, like six different cars. Okay, I want, I'm going to teach you how to wash them and wax them. And here's how you have to do it. Put your thumb out here like this, and you have to go, Wax on, <laughs> and then wax off. And then, so he, he spends, like, it basically takes him all day. <laughs> and then he's like, and breathe, breathe, don't breathe. He goes, don't forget to breathe. <laughs> he does this thing, and, and he's like, what? And, he's, and, he, and his, his shoulders are killing him, and he goes home. Okay, come back tomorrow, early. Daniel comes back. Okay, we're going to now scrub the deck. And he's got this... It's this ridiculously long deck. So if you go do this, what are you going to do? You're going to do this. This is how you're going to do it. And then after that, next day, paint. You're going to paint. You know how you're going to paint. You're going to paint like this. Stand like this. You're going to paint like that. And, and after that, you know what happens to Daniel? He gets ticked. He explodes. He has this rebellion. And he goes, because what am I, your slave? I'm just here to just do all your work. And you know what? That's just like us just like us. God is trying to be a father to us and give the thing inside of him that is so wise and give of himself of his heart into us. And then instead, all we do is we just see like work. And we're like, this is because we just only see this work and the law. And then we get ticked off and then we rebel against God because we don't even see him. We don't even see Anybody who could be like a father. We just see like a lawgiver because that's all we see. We only see the task. We see that it's about me. And Daniel at this point, he only thinks it's about him. And then, you know, Mr. Young, you can tell he's like, right, here you go, the dumb kid. And he goes, all right, stand here. And then he does this amazing, he goes, show me, wax on, wax on. He's like, yeah, he goes, like, he goes ah. he's like, you don't even know how to do it. It's like, come on, do it. Wax on. And then he does that thing. Right? And then he goes, and as soon as he does it, Mr. Miyagi like puts a piss right to his face and, and he blocks it. And then, all right. And then he goes, all right, now show me. The, and then he goes, show me the, you know, the paint. And then he, and he kicks him. And, and right in this moment, you have this, it's, like the, it's like the, it's the utterly, it's the change point of the movie. Because right after it's over, Daniel, you can see like his face is just like, he, you can tell he's been changed. And he goes, come back tomorrow. <laughs> And what begins to happen is, at the beginning, there is there's a master and there's a student. 
and the master tells the student what to do, and the student, because he wants to learn karate, has to obey so that he doesn't get his butt kicked every day. And he has to prepare for this tournament or something. That's, that's kind of like the, the central storyline. But actually what you begin to see is Mr. Miyagi was a man. Daniel was a, a boy without a father. Mr. Miyagi, you find out, was a guy that he lost his wife and his son many, many years ago in a tragic accident. And here's a man who doesn't have a son. And he begins to treat Daniel like his son. And Daniel doesn't come to him with just like, I need to like, keep these guys off me. He starts to talk to him about things like his love life. <laughs> and what begins to emerge is you have this short Japanese man, and then you have this, this kind of lost, you know, this lost kind of like selfish boy, and he starts to become something more. He starts to come in and allow this man to be his father. And to obey his father. Trust, have faith in Mr. Miyagi. Trust in a person. And then all that is beautiful in him starts to flow into him. And if you really want to see it, you really got to see the second movie. Once you see the second movie, it's like the, the fall. The, the second movie has kind of got a lot of cheesy stuff. But what's really beautiful about the second movie is it's there, there, by the second movie, they're a father and they're a son. And Daniel's no longer just this lost skinny kid, he's starting to become a real man because he's a son. And the reason I offer this to you is, you know, Jesus came and he rescued us from the way the world was beating the heck out of us. And then he took the curse of the law upon himself so he could lift up that curse and he obviously didn't come to give us karate. He came so that he gives a new relationship and a father and help us to see the father. And he's a lot better than Mr. Miyagi. And if you will learn how to live in that relationship and pick up that identity and receive all of the father's heart and wisdom and, of course, most ultimately, his love, you can become a whole new kind of person and your life will begin to flourish from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, we're, we, I call you Father, but I know that I don't even deserve to call you Father. I'm like, Lord, my Father, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm worse than Daniel LaRusso. Constantly trying to use you for what I can get out of you instead of receive you and be your son, and know that I have every privilege, every privilege. You always see me, and whatever you tell me, it isn't ever to make me your slave. It's only to put your best into me and make me beautiful as I can only be when you pour out yourself into me. Thank you for giving us Jesus to be our rescuer, so that the curse of the law, that the law can die to us, and we can be a new creation in him. We can be sons of God through him. And I pray, Lord, that all my friends, my brothers and sisters, that you would, your spirit would open up their eyes and they would see this pathway far greater than Mr. Miyagi. They would be captured by you and run to you as sons and daughters. In Jesus' name.
Amen.